When the Taliban banned music in Afghanistan, millions were plunged into silence. Radios were smashed, cassettes burned. You could be beaten or jailed or killed for breaking the rules. And yet, Afghans did it anyway. This is the story of how a group of people brought music back to Afghanistan by creating their own version of American Idol. The danger they endured. They said my head should be cut off. The joy they brought to the nation. You're free completely. No one is there to destroy you. I'm John Legend. Listen to Afghan Star on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. A new season of Bridgerton is here. And with it, a new season of Bridgerton, the official podcast. I'm your host, Gabrielle Collins. And this season, we are bringing fans even deeper into the ton. Colin Bridgerton has returned from his travels abroad. Is betrothal written in the stars for The Eligible Bachelor? Meanwhile, the ton is reverberating with speculation of who holds Lady Whistledown's pen. We're discussing it all. I sit down with Nicola Coughlin, Luke Newton, Shonda Rhimes, and more to offer an exclusive peek behind the scenes of each episode of the new season. Watch season three of the Shondaland series on Netflix. Then... Fall in love all over again by listening to Bridgerton, the official podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Subscribe to catch a new episode every Thursday. Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher. I'm so excited to tell you about the brand new series of The Girlfriends. In season one, we told you about the murder of Gail Katz at the hands of my ex-boyfriend, Bob. At one point, a woman's torso washed up on Staten Island and was misidentified as Gail. She spent nine years in Gail's grave, and then she just disappeared. It's almost like it's become this moral obligation to find her. And that's what we're going to do. Find this missing girlfriend and tell her story. With the help of some of your favorite girlfriends from season one, like my producer, Anna. Oh, my God. My friend, Dr. Mindy Shapiro. Hi, it's Dr. Shapiro, and I'd like to speak with the deputy medical examiner. And of course, Gail's sister, Elaine Katz. Having no closure, it kills you. Join us as we try to solve a 35-year-old cold case. It's not going to be easy, but it's going to be one hell of a ride. (gasps) What? I can't believe this. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Oh, hi. This is Let's Talk About Myths, baby. And I am your host, Liv, here to dive back into the one and only, the number one hero of ancient Greece, zero to hero himself, Heracles. 
Better known as Hercules, but remember, that's Roman. Well, 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 nerds. I'm really excited to be heading back in the direction of the roots of this podcast. Not by telling you anything you already know about Heracles, but by diving back into his extensive and long-winded history. Because turns out Heracles has one of the most extensive lists of stories of all of Greek myth. Honestly, probably has more stories than anyone else, hero or otherwise. It's, it's madness. But first, before we go the distance, just a reminder to submit your Atlantean questions and comments at mythsbaby.com slash Atlantis in the form at the bottom of the page. I'm really looking forward to this Q&A to find out what you all learned from me and what you're all still interested in learning about. I was really just so thrilled with the reception of this series, and I want to know exactly what stood out to you the most. What blew your mind? But also, what questions were brought up in my stories that you now want answers? What do you want more detail on? Please just do tell. There is a link in the episode's description. So, Heracles, Heracles, Heracles. I won't give you the full recap of every story of his that I've already covered. That's far too much. But I do want to remind you of some of the important parts. Things you'll want to remember before we get into today's story. I've also asked my magnificent messenger god, Michaela, to make a Spotify featuring all of the past Heracles episodes if you want to refresh your memories. What matters is, Heracles, as we all know too well, was the son of Zeus and a mortal woman named Alcmene. He's far and away Zeus's most important mortal child and most important hero when it comes to Greek mythology. He was worshipped broadly, like all over the ancient Greek world, both as a hero and a god. He'll become a god later, we're not getting there just yet. Because he was so important in the ancient Greek world, absolutely countless stories feature him in so many different ways. Some with lots of detail, others with very little. This is because the whole of the Greek world wanted to associate themselves with this particular hero, so they inserted him into their local stories and myths, eventually resulting in this absolutely wide-ranging hero who seems to have done it all. Like all the so-called heroes of Greek myth, Heracles has some majorly problematic qualities and stories where he comes across as an enormous asshat. We're getting to some of those today. Truly, researching Heracles is such a fascinating mess of stories and timelines and big old question marks. I actually had to like write down an order of events for myself because, wow. And to be perfectly honest, it's not all that clear when a lot of these things happened, but they're necessary in understanding what's coming. So I made some guesses about chronology and just kind of went with it. I've mostly gone with what Apollodorus tells us. For all, he's quite a late source and one that lacks detail. He really lays something out at the very least, mostly chronologically. So thank you, Apollodorus, from all of us. Still, all of what's to come does definitely come after the events I've already told you when it comes to Heracles, namely those most famous accomplishments, the Twelve Labors. These are some of his most detailed stories when he was assigned to complete tasks for the king of Tyrans, Eurystheus, in penance for, well, you remember, killing his wife and children. You know, Meg from Disney's Hercules? Yeah, her. In order to purify himself of these murders, which were spurred on by madness given to him by Hera, Heracles completed his labors. He 
Kill the Nemean lion by wrestling the thing until it suffocated, because the hide of the lion couldn't be pierced by weapons. He then forever wore the lion skin hood. This makes him very easy to spot in pottery and everywhere else. He defeated the Larnian Hydra, the many-headed creature who grew two heads for every one it removed. It wasn't until Heracles realized he could be cauterizing the stumps that he was finally able to defeat it. He captured the Carinian hind, really just a big deer. He captured the Aramanthian boar, a creature that has become too conflated in my mind with the farting beast that is in Assassin's Creed Odyssey. I don't think it was quite so ridiculous in the myths. He cleaned out the Augean stables. That one's funny. He just had to clean out stables, and he did it by basically unleashing a river to do the work for him. He killed the Stymphalian birds. Angry birds. He captured the Cretan bull and then released it in Marathon on the mainland where it eventually became the Marathonian bull, but was killed by Theseus as a way to make himself seem more heroic like Heracles. And then he captured, before eventually returning, the three-headed dog himself, Cerberus, during which time in the underworld he freed Theseus, apparently maybe leaving Theseus's butt behind, still stuck to the chair with Persephone's magic. Needless to say, I'm going to be looking into that anecdote and sharing more in the future. And those were just Heracles' famed 12 labors. I also shared with you the time he sacked Troy long before the Trojan War. Dude has done it all. And we've barely scratched the surface. This is episode 154, Back on His Shit, Heracles Wants to Get Hitched. Heracles, 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 what a wild and crazy guy. We return to our favorite guy who goes from zero to hero after his famous 12 labors. He's successfully purified himself for, you know, murdering his wife and children, and now he can go on with his life. Because that's how things work in Greek myths. You make up for what you've done, and then it's like it never happened at all. Except, fortunately, not actually, or rather not entirely, People will still remember what you've done, even if you might have saved yourself in the eyes of the gods. Once Heracles has purified himself, has completed these twelve labors, he sets out to make his life whole again, to resume some kind of quote-unquote normal existence. And to do that, he needs, well, he wants a new wife. The old one's dead, and what is a hero without a wife? Heracles hears of this king of the Thessalian city of Ecalia, Eurytus, who has something of interest. Now, there are a mess of traditions happening here, where sometimes also maybe this guy was a centaur and things went badly in a different way, or that's Eurytion, or the names are the same, or they're different, and uh, <laughs> and this is all the same as an Arcadian centaur with the same name. This part of Heracles' story is so incredibly messy to research, I can't even properly explain it to you. These details are fragmentary and often late, those that survive, but things will come together in the end. For now, we will not imagine him as a centaur, but as a king of this place, Echalia, in Thessaly, northern Greece. There, in Thessaly, Eurytus and his sons are known for their skill in archery. And, well, there is also a daughter, Ioli. 
So guess why Heracles rolls into town? Eurytus is so proud of his and his son's skills in archery that he's announced a competition. The man who can defeat them all in archery will win the hand of Ioli in marriage. Who doesn't love a story of a woman promised as a prize where we have absolutely no indication whatsoever of how she feels about the matter? So romantic. Happy Valentine's Day. Heracles, of course, is super into this idea. He's absolutely the type of man who wants to win his wife, possibly against her own will, in a test of skill. Obviously, I mean, if that isn't Heracles' personality type, then I do not know what is. Now, it seems that Eurytus is actually very, very, very good at archery. He isn't just assuming he's the best or delusional about it. We know this because he's actually referenced in the Odyssey, which says that later he was killed by Apollo for challenging him in archery. The skill of his sons, we do not know, and therein might be where this next plot point figures in. Because Heracles competes, he participates in this competition just as Eurytus and his sons have planned, except that when he wins, easily, because he's fucking Heracles, then Eurytus and most of his sons immediately take back the agreement. One of the sons, Iphitus, sides with Heracles as the rightful winner of this archery competition, and Iphitus states that because it was what they agreed, Heracles should indeed get to marry Eurytus' daughter, this guy's own sister, Iole. This is a tricky moment because, I mean, according to their agreement, then yeah, like Heracles should marry Iole. If we're sticking to pacts made and things agreed upon, it seems pretty cut and dry, even if it is kind of horrifying that this would mean that two should still marry. Still, why? You might be asking. Why are Eurytus and his sons suddenly not into the idea of Ioli marrying the winner, Heracles of all people, even after it was their idea to come up with this competition in the first place? Well, they're worried that Heracles will kill her and whatever children they might have. And are they wrong in that fear? No. So Heracles has traveled to Icalia upon hearing the news that there's a woman up for grabs. The princess Ioli, daughter of King Eurytus and sister to some brothers whose names I won't bother with, and another named Iphitus, has been promised in marriage to whoever can best Eurytus and his sons in an archery competition. As we're to understand, they're very good at archery. But Heracles is better because he's Heracles. Still, that Eurytus and his sons immediately take back this agreement when the winner is none other than the family annihilator himself, Heracles, is pretty impressive. It's not often in Greek mythology that so many things collide to make one very agreeable decision. Do we wish they'd taken it back because women should have the right to choose their own husbands and what happens in their lives? Sure. Do we know that that is likely never to occur in Greek myth? Also, yes. But I sure am proud of Eurytus for looking at the winner of the competition, looking real close and thinking, hey, this guy only just got purified for the murder of his wife and children. Maybe he isn't the best match for my daughter. Like, good one, Eurytus. But any guesses on how this is going to go? 
Well, for now, at least, Heracles appears to give in to Eurytus and his sons. Though the one, Iphitus, still agrees that Iole should be given to Heracles to marry. But life moves on for Heracles, for a little while at least. Once again, most of the details come from Apollodorus, which is why they're really brief. But there are a few other sources who give us like a play-by-play of what's about to happen. Moments leading up to one of Heracles' more important exploits, and eventually to even more. Apollodorus tells us that time went on, but soon after there were some cattle stolen nearby. Actually, he says they're stolen from Euboea by Autilicus. I can't figure out how this connects to Eurytus, so we're breezing past it. The point is, Eurytus believes that Heracles is behind the stolen cattle, that he's punishing Eurytus for going back on his promise that the winner of the archery competition could marry Iole. Heracles can't just find another poor woman to marry him? I'm sure there are a few out there. Even some would be keen to marry such an important and impressive hero of Greece, even if he killed his whole family? Regardless, this is what Eurytus believes, that Heracles is behind it all. But his son, Iphitus, who sided with Heracles in the first place, doesn't believe that the theft was committed by the hero. He offers to go speak with Heracles, to sort things out. And, well, Heracles ends up accidentally murdering him, because that's just what Heracles does. Are there a few more vague details leading up to this? Yes. Do they matter? Not really. Basically, Iphitus goes to speak with Heracles, they seemingly have a nice dinner, and then Heracles goes into an unexpected and uncontrollable rage and ends up throwing Iphitus against the walls of Tyrans, killing him. Brutally. Because he's Heracles, and that's just what he does. And then, surprise, surprise, he goes in search of purification, because he has just straight up murdered another person. Once again, looking to purify himself for the murder of an innocent human, Heracles sets out on some new travels. He tries a couple different people looking for that precious purification that he knows so well already, before finally landing on a much more reliable source for such things. The Oracle. And no, I'm not being sarcastic. I know I've drilled it into that you should never trust the Oracle, but honestly, there are some times when she's not so bad. And certainly when it comes to the historical side, the Greeks found her very reliable and very important. It's really just like poor Oedipus who gets the worst of her confusing and fateful prophecies. For Heracles, the path is clear. The Oracle tells him that the only way he can be purified for this murder yet another murder, is to live in servitude for a period of time. Except, well, Heracles doesn't get this pronouncement immediately, at least according to Apollodorus. First, quote, As the Pythian priestess answered him not by oracles, he was fain to plunder the temple and, carrying off the tripod, to institute an oracle of his own. But Apollo fought him, and Zeus threw a thunderbolt between them. When they had been parted, Heracles received an oracle, which declared that the remedy for his disease was for him to be sold, and to serve for three years, and to pay compensation for the murder to Eurytus. More like hero to zero. Am I right? Right? He steals the tripod from the oracle, and he tries to make one himself.
When the Taliban banned music in Afghanistan, millions were plunged into silence. Radios were smashed, cassettes burned. You could be beaten or jailed or killed for breaking the rules. And yet, Afghans did it anyway. This is the story of how a group of people brought music back to Afghanistan by creating their own version of American Idol. The danger they endured. They said, my head should be cut off. The joy they brought to the nation. You're free completely. No one is there to destroy you. I'm John Legend. Listen to Afghan Star on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. A new season of Bridgerton is here. And with it, a new season of Bridgerton, the official podcast. I'm your host, Gabrielle Collins. And this season, we are bringing fans even deeper into the ton. Colin Bridgerton has returned from his travels abroad. Is betrothal written in the stars for The Eligible Bachelor? Meanwhile, the ton is reverberating with speculation of who holds Lady Whistledown's pen. We're discussing it all. I sit down with Nicola Coughlin, Luke Newton, Shonda Rhimes, and more to offer an exclusive peek behind the scenes of each episode of the new season. Watch season three of the Shondaland series on Netflix. Then... Fall in love all over again by listening to Bridgerton, the official podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Subscribe to catch a new episode every Thursday. Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher. I'm so excited to tell you about the brand new series of The Girlfriends. In season one, we told you about the murder of Gail Katz at the hands of my ex-boyfriend, Bob. At one point, a woman's torso washed up on Staten Island and was misidentified as Gail. She spent nine years in Gail's grave, and then she just disappeared. It's almost like it's become this moral obligation to find her. And that's what we're going to do. Find this missing girlfriend and tell her story. With the help of some of your favorite girlfriends from season one, like my producer, Anna. Oh, my God. My friend, Dr. Mindy Shapiro. Hi, it's Dr. Shapiro, and I'd like to speak with the deputy medical examiner. And of course, Gail's sister, Elaine Katz. Having no closure, it kills you. Join us as we try to solve a 35-year-old cold case. It's not going to be easy, but it's going to be one hell of a ride. (gasps) What? I can't believe this. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. So in the end, Heracles is indeed assigned to servitude. Some say Zeus instructs Hermes to sell him, the money to be given to Iphitus's family, his children that he left behind, or it's the oracle who instructs Heracles to serve Amphali. Sometimes he's there for one year, other times it's three years. But what matters is Heracles is 
given, either enslaved or willingly, in an effort to be purified, to a woman, a queen of Lydia, one of the ancient Greek names for the region that's now generally Turkey. The queen is named Amphali. And, well, Amphali and her story within the story of Heracles is a fascinating one. I have shown you this origin for their relationship, that Heracles sought purification for the murder of Iphitus, but truly there are so many different variations and notions and ideas on why exactly Heracles went to serve Amphale, let alone what he did while he was there. So let's look at just a few of these options. According to an author named Polyphytos, whose quotes I found in the very helpful book Heracles by Emma Stafford, it is an absolutely silly idea to even suggest that Heracles was ever enslaved by Amphali. Just nonsense. Polyphytos goes on to say that, no, the way it actually happened was, quote, this woman, hearing of Heracles' strength, pretended to be in love with him. Once in her company, Heracles was seized by love for her and fathered a son from her because he was delighted by her. He did whatever Amphale asked. For good measure, Polyphytos notes that it's only the quote-unquote simple-minded who believe that he was ever actually enslaved by her. Truly such a contentious piece of Heracles' story. Nowhere is the story of Heracles and Amphali told in any great detail, but it is referenced in one way or another in countless sources over the centuries. It's another fascinating example of a myth where we know it was important, a major plot point in the life of the most important hero, and yet we have very little on it besides fragments and references. Amphale is an Eastern queen. She's not a Greek, and that in itself is often what we know about this period of Heracles' life. There were two satyr plays about this, neither of which survive, but both have fragments enough to suggest that they made this story into comedies. A silly example of Heracles and servitude in a world of Eastern opulence and excess. A reason to speak of what makes those Easterners different from the Greeks. What we know of her, we love. Amphale was a queen, sometimes ruling her region of Lydia while still unmarried, having inherited the throne from her father, sometimes ruling after she's inherited the throne after her husband's death. Either way, she's a queen ruling by herself. That much is very clear, regardless of the telling or scarcity of details. As for Heracles' time with her, that too is fragmentary, if interesting. Fortunately, what we do have is Apollodorus's brief description of Heracles' time with Amphale, or rather what he did when he was in her servitude, or enslaved by her, however you want to see it. Now, as I've said so many times, Apollodorus is one of the briefest sources of Greek myth, but he also jumps in when we have few other sources for important moments, so we love him anyway. Someone on Twitter once noted that he was like the TLDR of the ancient sources, and honestly, it's just so true. Still, what we do have is insightful and, of course, often funny, because this is Heracles and he is nothing if not sometimes unintentionally funny. 
Of Heracles' time with Omphale, Apollodorus explains, quote, In the course of his servitude, he seized and bound Cercopes at Ephesus, and as for Sileus and Aulus, who compelled passing strangers to dig, Heracles killed him with his daughter Xenodoche after burning the vines with the roots. And having put into the island of Delice, he saw the body of Icarus washed ashore and buried it, and he called the island Icaria instead of Delice. In return, Daedalus made a portrait statue of Heracles at Pisa, which Heracles mistook at night for living and threw a stone and hid it. And during the time of his servitude with Omphale, it is said that the voyage to Colchis and the hunt of the Caledonian boar took place, and that Theseus, on his way from treason, cleared the isthmus of malefactors. Obviously, what I really wanted to share with you was that bit about the statue of him. So it seems, according to this take, Heracles happened to be on the island where poor Icarus fell when his wax wings melted, and Heracles buried the boy and named the island Icaria. How sweet. So sweet that when Daedalus heard this, having himself reached Italy with his own wax wings, he built a statue to Heracles in thanks for this beautiful treatment of his son. And Heracles thought it was alive, and he hid it with a stone. A statue of himself. <laughs> Still, what else do we know about these other moments under Amphale's rule, or his time with her generally? What is probably most famous, if minimal in the sourcing, is that Heracles dressed in women's clothing, at least for a time, according to some, while he was serving Amphale. This is made comedic. Often. It's silly. Oh, a man in ladies' clothes. Ha ha ha. Anyway, it's definitely the most well-discussed moment of his time with her, if not at all the most important or relevant when it comes to his actual ancient story. So I'm not focusing on it. Apollodorus mentioned two notable, we might call them labors, when it comes to Heracles, though not part of his official twelve. In Ephesus, he fought the Kirkopes, and in Aulis, Sileus. The Kirkopes, like the rest of this story, are super fragmentary, but essentially they were two brothers, thieves, bandits, who were causing trouble in Lydia, near Omphale's kingdom. Specifically, according to Apollodorus, in Ephesus. Others say that they were first encountered around Thermopylae, on the Greek mainland, or even Icalia, where Eurytus and his archery-loving family were. We're going with Ephesus, though, because it's incredible and I've been there. So Heracles, as part of his time serving Omphale, set out to make her region safer, to take out those causing trouble. Heracles caught these two bandits, and according to some, they were then transformed into monkeys, which is kind of adorable and an interesting take on monkeys as bandits themselves. Now, Sileus' story is even more fragmentary, and frankly also very Theseus-like. Heracles tracked him down in an effort to take out bandits, we're told, and apparently this guy was forcing everyone who came upon his vineyard to, like, dig it? Maybe help him farm it, I guess? It's not very clear, but it feels very Theseus's bandits on the way to Athens, like deeply creative and odd ways of causing trouble coincidentally solved by a hero passing through. Heracles, it seems, killed the guy with his own farm tools, and burned the vineyard. For good measure, he also killed the man's daughter. 
though no one seems to provide a reason why. But what of Omphale herself and her time with Heracles? Apollodorus doesn't give us any information about their relationship, but if you think other ancient authors did not find a way to sexualize the situation, you are not paying attention. Of course, Heracles is stuck with this woman, a queen, and we're talking ancient Greek sources, so you better believe that there are references to their having had some kind of relationship. There's a quote I mentioned earlier, the guy who thinks it's completely impossible that Heracles could have ever been forced into servitude, so really he was just in love with her, or maybe forced to be in love with her. Others suggest that she fell in love with him after some of their time together, that she freed him because of this, and they ended up having a child together. Even coincidentally, Ovid references this experience of Heracles in his Ars Amatoria, which I introduced to you as a bonus episode just yesterday, and which you will hear in great and hilarious detail on Friday. He uses Heracles' experience, Hercules to him, of course, to exemplify, as Emma Stafford says in this book, quote, the patience required by a serious lover. Ovid's lines on this time of Heracles with Omphale and how patient he was as a lover and what that says about modern romance to Ovid are, quote, When Heracles' stepmother got tired of supplying monsters, he is said to have held a basket among the Ionian girls and to have spun his unworked wool to perfection. The Tyrinthian hero obeyed his mistress's command— now, go be shy about bearing what he bore. She commands you to be in the forum. Always be sure you arrive before the commanded hour and don't leave till late. She's told you to go and meet someone? Put everything off and run! And don't let the crowd hold you back as you go. She's done with her banquet and making her way home at night? Then, too, come if she calls, in place of her slave. She's out in the country and tells you to come? Love hates the lazy. If you haven't got wheels, make your way on foot. Now that is a newer, funnier translation that I read longer, more of than I needed to because it's hilarious. But it's just a taste of what you'll get in Friday's episode. Phew. But basically here, Ovid is using Heracles to describe how you should bend over backwards for your woman. This idea of Heracles being amongst the women, working amongst the women, and that was sort of his trial working under Amphale compared to much of the Ars Amatoria, it's kind of refreshing. But fortunately, Ovid provides us with another anecdote from Heracles' time with Amphale in his work called The Fasti. Now, of course, what we're getting here is a Roman story of their Hercules from Ovid's tradition, and not even his Metamorphoses, which focuses so much on retelling Greek stories. Still, it's kind of fun, if typically problematic, because, well, it's a Roman myth of Hercules, of all people. In the Fasti, which I'm referencing from this Emma Stafford book, Ovid tells us of a time when Amphale and Hercules hold a feast, presumably during some period when they're together in some kind of consensual romantic relationship. They hold some special feast, and afterwards they mark the night by sleeping in a cave. 
But not only that, for the feast and the night after, they swapped clothes. Again, we have this moment of Hercules wearing women's clothes. But in this case, it's more of a relationship kink. They swap clothes. We're told that Heracles bursts through most of Omphale's. He breaks her bracelets because he's too big. Her clothes are stretched tight over him. Her shoes are destroyed by the size of his feet. Still, they go with it. It's their thing. That night, the two are asleep in the cave, still wearing each other's clothes, or rather, draped by them while they sleep. And because this is myth... The god Faunus, who's a a Roman rustic god who's sometimes associated with the Greek Pan, he sneaks into the cave intending to rape Omphale. He finds the women's clothes, making a point to avoid Heracles' lion skin, but then he's surprised to find big, hairy legs. Ah yes, how funny, he's come to rape the wrong person. Apparently the ancients loved a comedic attempted rape story. Because, I mean... Of course they did. But in any event, Ovid tells us this is why the god Faunus prefers people to be naked when they worship him or when they have festivals to him, because that way he they can't switch around their clothes and trick him. Everyone seems to have an opinion on this part of Heracles' life, even if no one actually managed to document all the damn details of his time there, hence the really disjointed way I have to tell it. Or rather, any documentations that might have existed are gone. Still, that he did have this time under the rule of Amphale, whatever it looked like, and that they maybe had a bit of a romantic relationship, either consensual or otherwise, is what matters as we continue on this story of Heracles. Because though he didn't end up marrying Iole or Amphale, Heracles does eventually marry another woman. His last wife, Dianera. But that is for next week. Oh, nerds. Heracles, Heracles, Heracles. That guy, truly. It's just so fascinating looking at like just how many stories of him, both detailed and supremely fragmentary, exist. When it comes to this hero, he spanned the whole of the Greek world in a way no other hero does and was more important in like the everyday lives of the Greeks and the Romans, clearly, in a way that no other hero was. He's his own class of so-called hero. Of course, remember, the ancient Greeks didn't think of heroes in the way we do now. The word didn't have, like, an explicit goodness attached to it. It was used to describe these, like, mythic men, truly heroic or otherwise. And more specifically, it's often used to describe the men who protected regions. Like, if you killed a monster, you saved a town, you were a hero. You could then go on to ruin the lives of, like, every other person you encountered, like, forever and always. But you were still a hero because you had this protective moment under your belt. Now, that's a simplification, and it certainly doesn't apply to all instances, but it kind of makes the point. Heroes weren't all good or not problematic, as we all well know. They were just these important characters in the myths. They went on quests and defeated monsters. That's what qualified you. Not necessarily actually being good or heroic, as we understand it now. Like Hercules. Killing literally everyone, stealing the tripod from the oracle because she didn't answer him quick enough? The guy is wild. 
There are also references to like literally hundreds of children by Heracles, let alone the anecdote about the 50 daughters he had sex with in one night. Or in more reasonable examples, over the course of 50 nights, he had sex with these 50 women, resulting in, yes, 50 children. Remember, it's a rarity that a hero has sex with a woman and she doesn't get pregnant. Same with the gods, because that fits the storyline so much better than they fucked and nothing came from it. We want children of heroes and gods. The people of these regions wanted to link themselves with this most important hero, Heracles. So they told stories of all the times that Heracles visited and he spawned children in their town, their region, and like what those children might have gone on to do. One day I'll also dive into like the actual cult of worship around Heracles, the cult that was devoted to him, how he really does end up like a god in the traditional sense. He's just so unique and interesting and also super doltish in a great way. But for now, next week, we continue on with his trials, his tribulations, typically brought on by himself. With any luck, we will have more storylines and less fragmentary. We will meet his next and final wife, Dianera, and begin the lead up to one of the most famous plays dedicated to Heracles' story. The Trachinii, the women of Trachis. Stay tuned. So much fun hero bullshit is incoming. Thank you all, as usual. This one's been something else. You're truly the best. This is so much fun. I am Liv, and I love this shit. When the Taliban banned music in Afghanistan, millions were plunged into silence. Radios were smashed, cassettes burned. You could be beaten or jailed or killed for breaking the rules. And yet, Afghans did it anyway. This is the story of how a group of people brought music back to Afghanistan by creating their own version of American Idol. The danger they endured. They said my head should be cut off. The joy they brought to the nation. You're free completely. No one is there to destroy you. I'm John Legend. Listen to Afghan Star on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. A new season of Bridgerton is here. And with it, a new season of Bridgerton, the official podcast. I'm your host, Gabrielle Collins. And this season, we are bringing fans even deeper into the ton. Colin Bridgerton has returned from his travels abroad. Is betrothal written in the stars for The Eligible Bachelor? Meanwhile, the ton is reverberating with speculation of who holds Lady Whistledown's pen. We're discussing it all. I sit down with Nicola Coughlin, Luke Newton, Shonda Rhimes, and more to offer an exclusive peek behind the scenes of each episode of the new season. Watch season three of the Shondaland series on Netflix. Then fall in love all over again by listening to Bridgerton, the official podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Subscribe to catch a new episode every Thursday.
Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher. I'm so excited to tell you about the brand new series of The Girlfriends. In season one, we told you about the murder of Gail Katz at the hands of my ex-boyfriend, Bob. At one point, a woman's torso washed up on Staten Island and was misidentified as Gail. She spent nine years in Gail's grave, and then she just disappeared. It's almost like it's become this moral obligation to find her. And that's what we're going to do. Find this missing girlfriend and tell her story. With the help of some of your favorite girlfriends from season one, like my producer, Anna. Oh, my God. My friend, Dr. Mindy Shapiro. Hi, it's Dr. Shapiro, and I'd like to speak with the deputy medical examiner. And, of course, Gail's sister, Elaine Katz. Having no closure... It kills you. Join us as we try to solve a 35-year-old cold case. It's not going to be easy, but it's going to be one hell of a ride. (gasps) What? I can't believe this. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.